Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Episode 127 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks, offering a month of unrestricted use totally free right now, and you don't need a credit card for the trial. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I don't think companies utilize external coaches as well as what they could or should. I've been coaching for 26 years. I'm brought in to do damage control. What if we did coaching on the front end? Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and value feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where, of course, the topic of leadership is central to what we talk about each and every week. And we also dig into things like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, even sales, and entrepreneurship. In a moment, you and I will be joined by Rick Tiemann, spelled T-I-E-M-A-N-N. He's the author of Developing World-Class Leaders, The Ultimate Guide to Leadership Development. I'll ask Rick about things like how we can best go about establishing internal feedback loops within our organizations that will actually ensure the feedback is relevant and impactful, the concept of three-dimensional leadership and what it looks like, some of the best ways to invest in your staff, and much, much more. If you're not on the Read to Lead email list or you're not in the Read to Lead Facebook group, you may not know why there was no episode last week. Uh, Suffice it to say, my mother spent some time in the hospital. She had a heart attack actually while there. Thankfully, she was there. Otherwise, uh, the outcome could have been much, much different than it was. Uh, But she is on the mend now. She is doing really, really well. My dad is exhausted, but my mom is doing much better than she was a week or so ago. So I had to travel uh, and hence no episode last week. Just did not have time to put it together under the circumstances. So I appreciate your patience and also appreciate very much the thoughts and prayers coming from those uh, who uh, did get an email from me about it or did hear about it in the Facebook group. It, it really, really does mean a lot. Uh, There's also some great news. If you heard my last episode, episode 126, you heard me mention losing an episode for the first time ever, a chat with Adam Braun. I'm excited to say that 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 interview has been recovered. Uh, It will not be necessary for Adam and I to reconnect because the lost interview has been found. I'm looking forward to bringing that to you in a couple of weeks. I was having a conversation with someone earlier today who mentioned how much they hated accounting. And you know what? So do I. I did okay in accounting in school, but it's not my forte. And the great news is, as a business owner, 
I don't have to be great at accounting because of people like the folks at FreshBooks, the cloud accounting software that is sponsoring this episode. I encourage you to check them out, especially now, as you heard a moment ago, they're offering a month of unrestricted use to you as a listener to this show. It's totally free and you don't need a credit card to take advantage of the trial. Uh, FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices really, really easy. One of my favorite features is that FreshBooks can show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice that you've emailed. Clients can pay you online, which means, of course, you get paid faster. You can also utilize the FreshBooks deposits feature, which streamlines how you invoice for money up front when you're, say, kicking off a project. And FreshBooks has many, many other features as well. If you're curious, you can check them out and claim your free month right now by going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and then enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Rick Tiemann is the founder and president of The Executive Group, a consulting firm specializing in organizational and business development with an emphasis on leadership selection, development, and executive coaching. His expertise is helping organizations improve business performance outcomes. He's a sought-after keynote speaker and presenter on topics ranging from leadership to selection to coaching and more. And he's the author of Developing World-Class Leaders, the ultimate guide to leadership development. Rick, very excited to have you. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's an honor. Well, in the intro of the book, Rick shares the problem that his book is trying to solve. And that problem is that most companies aren't fully committed to developing a world-class leadership program, or they try, and, and as Rick says, they often fail. So, Rick, why aren't more companies placing a priority on developing world-class leadership programs? Well, I don't think it's because they don't want to or don't recognize the need to. I think oftentimes it's the how-to mm. that I think is part of it. But in the book, I, in the very beginning of the book, chapter two actually outlines 12 reasons why I think they fail. Mm. And obviously we don't have time to get into all those 12s at this time, but I think that a couple things are competing priorities. Uh, there are so many things going on in organizations from a sales and marketing and operations standpoint that require us to to have in place on a day-to-day basis to have an ROI and to have to meet payroll and expenses that leadership development, because it's not a line item as a general rule like R&D might be, is I, I think that there sometimes is a disconnect in the significance of leadership development as it relates to the growth of the organization. So I think there's so many things that compete for why those fail. Um, I think another competing reason is is that um, maybe the owner, president, CEO, what have you, doesn't see it as as leadership's responsibility. He sees it as an HR's responsibility, mm. and therefore becomes an HR initiative. Uh, and if it's not taken seriously by HR or the rest of the organization, or there's not that that drive from the CEO level that this is a critical piece for us, it, it probably is not going to get the traction it needs. So the book is very comprehensive uh, in addressing uh, this issue. Talk, if you would, Rick, about the importance of, of not cherry-picking the elements uh, that you outline in the book and, and why each one needs to be part of an ongoing program. Yeah, and that, you know, that I love that question because it is a central reason why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. And and it stems from, I mean, the book was created from five different workshops that I've done on this subject 
for the last couple of years, at, which developed into the book itself. But, you know, it's a really, it's a very logical approach. And in other words, you know, if you're going to bake a cake, um, there's certain ingredients that have to go into that cake and a certain time frame in which the cake requires to get baked. And, <laughs> and if you don't follow the guidelines, you know, I don't think anybody's going to eat it. <laughs> um, but if you've never baked a cake, you know, that's a problem, too. Mm. But I think that when you look at um, all the things that are that go into that, when you leave a piece out of that, it, there's really a void or a gap that's presented. And, and in the book, not only do I talk about the 12 things that I've seen why leadership programs don't fail, and oftentimes it's a culmination of several reasons, not just one, mm. um, but I also outline eight things that are critical to have in your leadership program to be successful. And... And one of those is creating a feedback loop. Those are the kinds of things that I think are that you just can't pick and choose the things you want. And oftentimes that happens because we're under time constraints or an executive needs to be singled out because there's a problem. And therefore, you just do a 360. And there's reasons why 360s don't necessarily bring to fruition those kinds of things. So it, it's a pretty complex uh, element, which is why I wrote the book. Mm. Well, uh, let's just jump to that, the whole uh, feedback loop uh, question. How, how can we best go about establishing those loops and, and, and actually ensure that that feedback is, is feedback we can use, that it's relevant and that it's also impactful? One of the things I've seen is, is that most, most of the time the feedback we get is from our manager and our performance reviews. Mm. And that's pretty much the deliverable in most organizations. Now, some organizations move beyond that and may do 360s and what have you, but I think when an organization relies as performance reviews and feedback from the manager as its sole point of emphasis on an individual's development, it's going to miss the mark for a couple reasons. Number one is, what if the individual doesn't believe in the feedback that they're getting about how their manager sees them? What if they think their manager is just out to get them? What if they don't respect their manager? Uh, there may be a number of reasons why that individual then doesn't necessarily take the information at heart or take it to the next level or take and do something with it. Some will, some won't. I, I think that when you look at that, that whole feedback loop mentality, it, it stems from the manager's feedback. It stems from a peer review from an interview standpoint. It stems from 360s. It stems from assessments. And, and I spent a whole, I dedicate a whole chapter called creating a feedback loop in that because feedback has to come from multiple perspectives. And if you use the, the ideology or even the analogy, I guess is a better a statement. But if you think about if one person has an issue with me, it just could be a problem between them and I. But if eight out of 10 people have a problem with me and I don't see the problem, but others around me see it. How am I going to get that feedback about how others see me? So when you go about creating a feedback loop, it's critical to have all the components at play as well as a strong assessment process, and most of them fall short, um, around helping an individual see where their real gaps are. Mm. And we call that then driving to a gap analysis. Mm. Well, I know the, the latest data on this is a few years old, as you mentioned in the book, but, but what does it say, Rick, when, when nearly half of all of the newly hired CEOs uh, come from outside the organization as opposed to being promoted from within? Well, I think that it, it really strongly suggests then that we're either 
not hiring right, we're not assessing right, we're not evaluating our talent well enough, or maybe we're not hiring for the future, we're hiring for the immediate. And oftentimes we hire based on filling immediate needs versus based on hiring to long-term needs. And the larger the organizations get that and tend to be better at that. Um, And so when you look at creating your, your pipeline and creating your talent pool that creates and fills your succession planning, uh, those are the kinds of things that I think that we don't that I've seen in twenty going on twenty six years of doing this, and the work I've done in in the consulting arena and prior to my business experience, that I just don't see where that investment is made in really identifying the talent. And oftentimes, when I do my leadership work and I have up and coming leaders in in some type of workshop, and and I ask them. You know, who is groomed to take your place now? And 90 to 95% say, I don't have anybody or I got a couple in mind. And when I ask them what they're doing for development, they they don't have a clear cut definition of what that looks like. Mm. But it's not just that the that the daily that, that the people are coming in from the outside world, it's those that are promoted from the inside world. Mm. And in the book I talk about Georgia Vester, who was uh, promoted to, to CEO after being the chief CFO for Coca-Cola. And in two short years, he was asked to resign. Or Jill Barad, who was the chief marketing officer for Mattel, who was promoted to CEO. And in less than three years, she was asked to resign. And both of these people asked to resign by the very board. So it's, it's not just that we have to bring in outside people. It's sometimes we think the inside people are ready, but we don't really vet out whether or not they've got the skills to be ready for the next one. And the, and the real mentality is, Past performance is a predictor of future performance. And that's not true because if the CFO of Coca-Cola and the chief marketing officer and their past performance promoted them to the top spot at Coca-Cola and Mattel and they didn't succeed, it tells us that there's just as much of a problem about identifying the internal talent of, of who can get there versus what we have to do to go outside to attract a talent that can get there. Yeah, good point, good point. Well, talk about the concept, Rick, of three-dimensional leadership. Uh, what, what does that look like? Well, that's something I, that I'm kind of proud that it's, you know, it's my idea. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, and, and you've got to take pride and ownership when it's your idea. Mm. Because when you look at all the leadership books out there, they all basically say the same. So if I, whether I'm reading Sharon's work on the leadership pipeline or I'm looking at Primal Leadership or the Leadership Challenge or, or On Becoming a Leader, all these kinds of leadership books, they all talk about what I need to do you know, as, as a leader. When, when I look at three-dimensional leadership, and, I, and I've learned to do this from my coaching activity and how I go about coaching an individual, three-dimensional leadership for me gets broken into three components. Mm-hmm. Component number one is the obvious, and that's our skills. And whether that's the evolution of my skills as as an accountant or an engineer or a process engineer, and I continue to learn more and more about process and Kaizen events and lean manufacturing and uh, the latest in technology and robotics, and those those are the skills that I'm always looking to learn and enhance. Or if I'm a bookkeeper, I've got basic bookkeeping experience, and I go to P&L, then I go to full budget responsibilities, then I go to full mergers and acquisitions responsibility. Those are all the kind of the, the business acumen, the skills. Well, then there's this second area that was just part of the three-dimensional leadership I refer to as the competencies. And what are the competencies I need? 
So delegating is a competency, but most people don't delegate very well. Mm. They, it's easier to do it themselves, or I don't have time to teach someone else. Or Guilty. Yeah, so we, we wind up then not having the competencies, mm. conflict resolution, team building, um, strategic planning, forward thinking. And, and so let me jump to bucket number three, and that is our behavior. And oftentimes it's our behavior that gets in the way. Mm. So if I'm not managing the, the new skills I need around new technology and the new hard skills, if I'm not developing my soft skills around anything from delegating to communicating to team building to conflict resolution to strategic planning and all, all parts in between, and I'm not balancing and identifying where my behavior is creating a gap for myself as a leader, then I'm not really developing myself in a well-rounded fashion. I only focus on one area. And so what happens is, is that the, the cautious, conservative, analytical, fact-data-driven thinker is not good at strategic planning because it requires vision and intuition. And those behaviors aren't the same behaviors. So if I've got a role in my organization that doesn't fit my behaviors, then that, that can potentially be a roadblock as well. And if you go back and read the, the, the dynamics around why Ivester and Brad were, were terminated, it wasn't because of lack of skills in most cases. Mm. It was a lack of their behaviors and the competencies that they weren't doing to lead effectively. So the three-dimensional leadership is talked about in Chapter 7, which could have grassroots enough to make its own, bu- make, make its own book, I mm. think. But. Mm. Well, you talked a bit about behavior, and, and, and there's actually an entire chapter dedicated to, to this thing called the unknown element, uh, uh, human behavior and its impact on leadership. Share a little bit more about that, if you would. That's a, that's a place where my practice has kind of taken hold of what we do, and that's the world of understanding behavior, which is why it's called the un- what I call it the unknown element. Uh, it is actually uh, the third book that's in play right now for me. The second one will be coming out hopefully at the end of the year. But this book I'm working on right now is about 50% done. And it's called The, the, the Unknown Element, How mm-hmm. Human Behavior Impacts Productivity. And the thing that I've learned around assessments and behavior has been much to uh, my benefit of, of being an understudy of Dr. Michael Carson, the clinical psychologist, and Dave Watterson, an IO psychologist, who have mm-hmm. taught me a lot about the world of psychology and the world of assessments. But chapter 11 really speaks to the behaviors that get in the way of fallen leaders um, or leaders at any level. Um, And so the more I understand about the behaviors at play and the role that I'm looking for is how do my behaviors align with then what I'm being asked to perform and do? Well, as an entrepreneur who's been in several different business ventures of my own, there's certain behaviors that if, if as an entrepreneur, you have to have. And I'm okay not being part of a team. <laughs> well, if you look at my, even though I'm leading a team, uh, I'm okay of not of doing things on my own and kind of being a loner. Mm. And that, and my personality aligns with that. Um, my personality also aligns with being somewhat of a maverick. Mm. So, uh, but if I wasn't a maverick, you know, what would I approach my business the same way? I don't know. But the dynamic is, is that our behaviors have a potential to impact either positive or negatively our thinking style or values and those kinds of things that are really tied to the behavioral piece. And chapter 12 of the book gets into case studies of successful and non-successful leaders and what we saw in their behaviors and the predictions that we made. For mm. example, one of, one of the 
uh, uh, caution pieces to one of our clients was a promotion that they wanted to make. We were vehemently suggesting that they reconsider. And within six months of the promotion, that individual was terminated. Mm. For the very same reasons we said or suggested that this probably wasn't going to be a good fit. And it wasn't based on the individual's talent or skills because she was more than qualified. It was all based on the behaviors that we saw that we felt that weren't conducive to this kind of role in this organization that we had concerns around. And there's a number of examples in chapters 11 and 12 that speak to that piece of being able to predict outcomes. Uh, I recently got an email from a client that basically said, um, can you go back and look at Mr. So-and-so's results? You invite, you advise us not to hire that he perhaps had a temper. He recently put his fist through one of the controllers in one of the machines in the plant. And now we have some concerns on how termination might play out. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> you know, yeah. So how were we able to predict that behavior? Because we use a very sophisticated series and battery of, of assessments that most organizations don't even know exist, let alone use. Wow, that's impressive. Well, uh, Rick says that, that one of the most valuable activities that an organization can can undertake is investing in its staff. We've we've hinted at some of this. Assessments, I, I would assume, is, is is one way, assuming that they're uh, ones that are well done, obviously. But uh, what are some of the best ways uh, to do that in, in, in your estimation, Rick? Well, certainly at the kind of level of assessments that we administer, it's not... It's not an inexpensive um, venue, but in our assessment process, when we do look at evaluating leaders, we'll use six different assessments, um, three in the behavioral and psychological realm and three in the critical thinking skills realm that we look at assessing. And that can get you know, relatively expensive when you're doing that assessment piece. That, that's certainly one way. I think another way is, is that I don't think companies utilize external coaches as well as what they could or should. I've been coaching for 26 years now. I've, I've probably got a dozen people I'm coaching right now. And and the thing I noticed most about the coaching piece is I'm brought in to do damage control. Gotcha. Well, what if we did coaching on the front end? <laughs> what, if, what if we did an assessment that really looked at that individual's skills and abilities and where their gaps are? And what if we put together a development plan that really leverage their ability to be able to get to the next level when we hired them and what if we had an outside coach that really wasn't tied to the organization that could provide more objective review and provided that coaching and guidance Mm. um, to that individual would we have a better chance of that person's success in the next role yeah is there an investment in that of course but do we oftentimes have a real budget behind this no that's one of the reasons why programs fail. But I think those are the things that I think organizations miss, and that is if you're going to invest in your people, you've got to do a well-entrenched leadership assessment program, which incorporates 360s, peer reviews, part of that feedback loop dynamics, giving an individual all that information from multiple perspectives, from multiple people, from multiple sources, 360s assessments, and then provide the kind of coaching that that person needs to get them to the next level, you're more apt to have a successful individual in that role than you are hoping that they can succeed because you're saying their past past success is going to say, yeah, they can do the job, Mm. when oftentimes they can't. And as an example, one of my clients, as I was coming on board to work with them, had had a service tech who did really well 
and then he became a service manager and he did really well. And then they promoted him to branch manager. In a year, he had a union organizing mounting against him mm. because he he started putting in so many rules and structure that he felt was lacking that he choked the organization and ticked everybody off. <laughs> wow. So, you know, what did they miss? Mm. And what what could we have done to make sure that we were promoting the guy to the next level in the right spot? And and, and Jeff, that it it's it it goes on. It's mm. it's I have endless examples. <laughs> you know, I've done I've assessed well over 13,000 individuals from various roles in the organization, including up to high-profile roles, senior people within the Pepsi-Cola General Bottles organization, um, and it never ceases to amaze me the times I get called in to coach people who are in crisis. Mm. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about you know, getting in front of that before it gets out of hand. Well, we don't we don't put kids in a car and give them their license. You know, they go to driver's ed. They've got yeah. classroom. They've got study. They've got they ride in the car. They drive. They observe. They're part of a team that they learn how to drive, and then we give them their driver's license and we give them a driver's test. Well said. Well said. Well, I want to ask some questions, Rick, not directly related to the book, but before I do that, I want to give you a chance uh, to share anything else about the book. You want to make sure we know, if anything. Well, I, I think I just want people to know that in all the reasons. So before I started to write the book, I said, well, is this just another book that no one's going to read and has no value? Mm. And so I began to look at all the other leadership books out there that I read over the years and, and went and found some more that are kind of more of the newer books. And I didn't find one book, Jeff, that really spoke to a process or a methodology or the ins and outs, or the do's and don'ts, or the psychology behind developing a leadership program. Mm. And in all the work with all the organizations I work with, both family-owned, privately held, publicly traded, owned by um, by um, you know private investment firms, I mean, I've run the gamut of companies I've worked with in 26 years. Mm. I've not seen one that I would say, yeah, they've got their act together. <laughs> And so I think that if organizations want to retain good people, good people want to know that there's a path for them in that organization. If they want to retain their talent, they've got to invest in their talent and recognize their talent want answers. They want opportunity. They want advancement. They want involvement. They want to be part of the, of the success. And when you invest in those people and have a program that supports it, that's ongoing, that doesn't lose traction you know, and and is consistent year over year over year with the same process and methodology behind bringing in your high potential group to feed your pipeline. That's why I wrote the book, mm-hmm. and and hopefully people will see the value as they uh, as they look at the strategies and philosophies that I've I've got built into it. Well, what about Rick? Books on on other topics. Uh, what have you read over the last uh, year or two, or maybe even further back, that that has had an impact on you? Or those books that you you often refer back to again and again? You know, Jeff. When I was in college, I hated to read. I was a jock with a basketball scholarship, and I don't think I read my first book cover to cover until I was twenty four years old. I read the Cliff Notes. <laughs> Um, cause I just, I'd rather be on the basketball court or I'd rather be practicing, you know, anything, anything other than having to read a book, uh, even though I got straight A's in high school. Um, mm. but the piece is, is that I think from the time I was 24 until I was well into my late forties, I read an average of a book a month because mm. I got inspired about what books could teach me. Mm. And on my website, under my resource section, there's a whole library of 
vast amounts of books under different subject matters. And, but some of the ones that I refer back to uh, a lot is uh, a book called, that's called Primal Leadership uh, by Daniel Goleman, who wrote Emotional Intelligence. Mm. Because prime, that book really helps speak to the emotional well-being and balance of an individual. Uh, I enjoyed Sharon's work on the leadership pipeline, which, which ties into a lot with what my book speaks to when you start looking at developing your talent pool and your succession planning. Uh, and your in your high potential pool, uh, a lot of work. When I work with organizations in in the work that we do around assessments, um, has to do with the five dysfunctions of a team, or everyone's a coach by Shula and Blanchard. Uh, th- those are some of the books that I will use a lot of information from. Obviously, the Good to Great book, uh, Strategy Pure and Simple, is an old book that I've read over and over and over again for years. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a book lover. I'm a book reader. Um, when I get into my coaching assignments, I've always got a litany of books that apply to where the individual's gaps are, um, that I'm recommending that based on certain skill sets that they need, whether it's, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, I've even used a, a book called the 10 day MBA for people trying to figure out their careers, uh, on where they're at and what they need to learn next. So I, I'm a huge proponent of learning, uh, and reading, mm. and I totally identify with what you're saying uh, in regard to not liking to read. When I left college, I was in the same boat for reasons I'm not sure I can quite put my finger on. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I began uh, getting excited again about reading for the very same reasons you did. This, just this window of opportunity opened up for me, and I saw what I could learn from the books that were out there that I wasn't even paying attention to, and so. Uh, well, can, can, do I have time for a story to add on that? Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. You know, when, when I was 40 and started this practice, I had already been involved in, I was an international business development manager. I had owned three companies before the age of 30. I'd been involved in mergers and acquisitions. I'd done a major turnaround with a, with a company I went to work for after I sold my companies. I thought I was pretty damn good mm. in that space. Well, then I read a book called Strategic Planning, What Every Manager Must Know. And I wow, there's some stuff in here that's really cool. <laughs> and, and then I read seven different books on strategic planning, from The Art of War to Strategy Principle to Developing Strategic Thoughts, Strategic Planning in Emerging Companies, and I could go on. And then I read a book called Before the, Making Mergers Work and a book called After the Merger. And then I wrote, read, read a book on turnarounds. I read all those books in the next 12 months. And all of a sudden, I realized that my arrogance about how good I thought I was a year ago really woke up my eyes to saying, Man, you're just, you're just a pup. You didn't know half of what you thought you knew. Your your ego was so blown out of proportion of what you thought you knew <laughs> that, that reading those books brought me back down to reality. Says, "Wow, I wonder what else I could learn if I spent more time reading." Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know you're getting a lot of requests for uh, public speaking. Uh, you're doing more and more of that, and 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 trying hard to get work done in the midst of those requests. But I'd be curious to know. What are some of the tips uh, for delivering an impactful and memorable public talk that, that that you could pass along to us? I think the number one thing, Jeff, is you've got to practice. In 1994, a couple years into starting my practice, when I realized that one of my venues was get, I had to get exposure because no one knew who their who Rick Teeman was in Northwest Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to get exposure, and I didn't know how to do that. So I put together a one year game plan. And I joined Toastmasters. I took a course at, at Purdue uh, North Central, where, where I live, on communication. 
I bought a book on platform speaking skills, a book on presentation skills, uh, a book on communication, read those. Uh, and then I hired a lady to work for me part-time to call every chamber and every rotary, 60-mile mm-hmm. radius, because they're always looking for speakers. Mm-hmm. And I did 54 speaking engagements in 12 months wow. for free. And I developed a little skit, kind of like a David Letterman takeoff called The Top 10 Reasons Why Managers Hire. I developed a little skit, a little comedy thing. Mm-hmm. So I think the number one thing is practice. And I built myself a whole practice routine. Mm. Well, I've, I think I have eight or nine major speaking engagements where I just spoke at the National Sherm Talent Management Conference in Orlando. Um, at 30 people come ask me for my business cards afterwards. I'm, I'm doing... I'm speaking at the National Sherm Conference in in uh, in Orlando. We just got called this morning that we're speaking at the um, at the Dallas um, Sherm Conference in September. We we just got chosen for Boston. Mm. You know, so it's it's to get yourself known. You've got to you've got to get aware. Well, that's the practice. I think the next thing is you've got to be a storyteller. You mm. can't just get up there and espouse facts and data. You're going to bore people to tears. <laughs> And you got to have some humor and levity, mm. um, and you got to engage your audience. But it starts with practice, and then building building a theme. So you know, I have four different topics that I built a really strong presence around those four topics. That my marketing person then goes out and then vets out those organizations looking for speakers. I'm not I'm not part of a speaker's circuit or speaker's organization, mm. but yet I've got eight or nine major speaking engagements that are just from my own efforts. Mm. And so our next step is to start getting aligned with the speakers' bureaus. Excellent. Well, the book, again, is Developing World-Class Leaders, The Ultimate Guide to Leadership Development from Rick Tiemann. Rick, it has been a delight to have you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, listen, it's, 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 it's an honor and a pleasure. Rick runs the executive group linking human capital with strategic intent. I'll link to his company's website in the show notes for this episode, along with how to connect with Rick on places like Twitter and LinkedIn, plus all the resources and links and, and books that we talked about uh, during this conversation. Please consider visiting our sponsor, FreshBooks, and taking advantage of this tremendous offer they're running right now, a free month of unrestricted use, and you don't need a credit card for this free trial either. To claim your free month, you can go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and simply enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. If you enjoy the Read to Lead podcast, would you consider rating and reviewing the podcast in Stitcher or in iTunes? It's easy to do and only takes a couple of minutes. You can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher to leave a rating and review there or readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. In the coming weeks, I look forward to bringing you conversations with authors writing books like Born for This, The Mindfulness Edge, Performance Breakthrough, The Coaching Habit, and many, many more. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.